we are gradually seeing that what we built yesterday and what we are building today is much, much, much more resource efficient than what we built yesterday. Hello and welcome to the season two of Understanding the Future. I'm your host, Punit Gandhi, and Climate Center for Cities is excited to bring to you a podcast about the future of work in the field of climate change, urban development, sustainability, and innovation. We will talk to experts working on ground as well as in the top management of government and non-governmental organizations to better understand how the field looks like in future. This will help us in preparing to enable climate actions as well as gauge the type of skill sets and jobs that would be required in future to solve complex challenges. If you are listening to it for the first time, do tune into Season 1. Hello and welcome to the Season 2 of Understanding the Future. I'm your host, Punit Gandhi, and today we have with us Mr. Sanjay Seth. He is Senior Director at the Sustainable Habitat Division at the Energy and Resources Institute. He's also a CEO and Secretary for Griha Council. He will help us better understand the topic of energy efficiency and transition for cities. Welcome to the show, Mr. Seth. Thank you, Punit. Thank you. One of the things that I really like about your journey and your career is that you have seen both sides of the spectrum. You have been in the power generation side as well as now in power consumption side. And so I have, again, my tenure of work has been very small compared to yours, but I have been in the solar sector as well initially before I jumped into the policy side of it. So what, in a long term, what all differences do you see in generation and consumption aspect of power. Okay. So, Puneet, I am going to be very, very candid about not only relating it to my experience, but also as to how, uh, as a country, where we are and how we are really going to uh, be growing. Sure. Let us understand that, and and, and I'll try to keep it as simple so that people who are our ultimate audience, it becomes very easy for them to decipher or, you know, understand what we are saying. Uh, You know, we are are still a developing country where we say that uh, bulk of our infrastructure is yet to come up and all of that, right? So we've, I think, heard this line n number of times in various conferences and meetings. So there is still a lot of aspirations among the people uh, as to how they need to be where they want to be and buying powers increase and their, uh, the lifestyle changes that one aspires to, the so-called good living standards, as we may call it. Yeah. And some of them, which are basic necessities, which are still not available with a large segment of our population, right? So, yeah. so I remember when, during my days when I used to work on the supply side, uh, we used to talk about capacity addition, that we need to, there is not enough, right? And power power for all used to be the mantra of the government, that we must provide power to all, right? And capacity addition was the only, I think bulk of the attention was on capacity addition, right? So to meet the growing demand. But thereafter, the demand side management uh, initiatives also became very, very important that both supply and demand need to be managed and only if we keep looking at uh, uh, looking at the uh, i mean at the supply side then it really yeah. becomes a very costly uh, affair it's after all uh, i mean way back in uh, i'm talking of in the early 2000s or yeah around that time yeah. every megawatt of capacity that we added was around rupees 6 to 7 crores of rupees at that right. time i'm sure yeah. that today it's much more than that but if you looked at the demand side management, if you were to manage your demands and become more, you know, uh, uh, resource efficient or uh, so energy efficient, if you if you may say, then uh, the the amount of money that you spent there is, yeah. is much less uh, than what you really spend on the supply side. So that being one. Now 
all of these things, the demand side initiatives actually came up with the electricity, uh, the, uh, you know, the Energy Conservation Act 2001. This was enacted by the government of India in 2001. And then, uh, you know, the Bureau of Energy Efficiency was created. And 2002 is when things started uh, really coming into being. And I think the seriousness about demand side management, uh, the first time that we saw was around that time. So early yep. 2000, 2000, 2001, 2002. Uh, but we have been practicing as a society, we have been practicing demand side management in all of our, you know, the way we live, frugality, True. you know, frugality was embedded in all of our lifestyles, if you see. Uh, I'm, I'm talking of bulk of the people, it's the large yeah. population, it's the upper middle class, middle class, the lower, you know, the lower segment of the people, all of them, I think frugality was something which we all Adapt, you know, adopted as a lifestyle. Sure. And uh, we were, you know, we were so used to switching off our lights when we get out of the room, switch off the fan. So these are all, I think, very good practices that one needs to follow. And these, you, you, we coined a word called demand side management. All of this uh, became yeah. a part of the demand side management. Uh, even if you look at the houses that we had, uh, that we were living off. So if I were to maybe talk about the house that my grandfather built and where I grew up as a child, hmm. I remember that the, we, the, for the thermal comforts, the only thing that was there was a fan. Yeah. But we had very high, the houses were constructed in such a way that uh, there were ventilators which were there the ventilators would be kept open during the summers yeah. because of the simple reason that warm air rises, goes out of the ventilators, fresh yeah. air, you know, comes in through the op openable, the wire mesh doors and all, courtyards were there. I mean, the basic building design was how to keep thermal comforts of your home without really uh, depending too much on artificial methods of uh, cooling. True. The walls were very thick, so the, hard, uh, the heat transfer from outside to inside was minimized. Cement was not, I think, I don't think that cement was used. It was lime and surki, which was used for the mm -hmm. construction uh, of these, and lime has a cooling e effect. Uh, so, so I found that those houses were very, very comfortable, even during summers. Uh, when we, uh, when we, when we used to sleep in the afternoons, uh, because they were normally around vacations, and I very have this very clear picture of us being made to wear shorts and then put off to go <laughs> up. Told us, you know, that you should go off to sleep, and at night, the central courtyard yeah. that used to be used for putting charpais and uh, uh, mosquito nets and then you slept slept there with a pedestal fan and before before one really went off to sleep there a little bit of uh, sprinkling of water was done uh, on on the charpais so that evaporative cooling say you know that uh, yeah. it's all of it so so these are i mean so we had very good, uh, I mean, methods of uh, kind of adapting to what was being provided. We are a tropical country. Temperatures do go high. And, and these are things yeah. that I'm relating to you just now that I related to you are all about the city of Lucknow, which where it was very, very hot during summers. And yeah. uh, we used to end up going there during summers. I was I, I grew up mostly in the hills in Shillong and and I used to come there and heat was unbearable. We couldn't bear the heat. Uh, sure. And, uh, but still we were able to enjoy our summer vacations there and all of that. So that is it. Absolutely. Okay. So that was the story part of it. But <laughs> coming back to uh, uh, the demand side management and supply side. So as I said, that, that balance was very important, but demand side initiatives uh, hmm. were very, very, they are, I think even to even to this date, although we have made a lot of traction during the last 10, uh, 12 years, uh, but still, I think we would say that we are still adapting and we are still growing and 
you know, uh, people are still getting used to the demand side initiatives. Yeah. Um, um, uh, it was important that the Energy Conservation Act, uh, you know, kind of provided the foundation on which the demand side initiatives were really uh, uh, built on. And they looked at four, four uh, uh, major blocks on which this entire, entire thing was rolled out. One was, of course, uh, awareness and sensitization of people. So, you know, so that they understand that it is important to save. So that is one. Yeah. So how do you go about sensitizing them? How do you go about conserving energy? How do you go, go about making them aware of what is it that they can do? So that was one part. The second thing was, was that standards and labeling of appliances was the other uh, aspect which became very important because we found that uh, bulk of our uh, consumptions happened and you know the re residential sector bulk of the consumptions happened at the appliances level so whether it is a sure. fridge or a fan or a light that was where consumptions were happening and then uh, gradually as you move up the ladder air conditioners you know uh, and, uh, and other things uh, washing machines yeah. and all of that so, so they said that the standards and labeling program could help in improving the efficiency of appliances and thereby reducing uh, consumptions, becoming more and more efficient. So that became a, a second block. The third block was energy intensive industry. That how do you go about making sure that uh, you know in, in energy is um, uh, kind of uh, uh, you know the industries help to move on an energy efficient path. So then an exercise was done to see that how do you go about assessing which are the industries which are very highly energy cons uh, consumptive and then uh, a gazette notification and they found that nine such industries were identified and they use the word called designated consumers okay. um, DCs. and through a notification process we were able to list this uh, nine designated consumers that cement iron and steel uh, chloralkali, pulp and paper, then aluminium, uh, so like these, I don't remember yeah. all of them, but there were nine such industries which were uh, identified. Then the, th the last block was, of course, uh, was uh, the building sector, uh, where yeah. they said that buildings also uh, consume. But initially, they were very, very uh, careful that Largely, the, they said that although the residential sector is much bigger than the commercial sector, but if yeah. you look at the consumptions, large consumptions happen in the commercial sector because of heavy uh, duty air conditioning and, and the lighting. Sure. Now, together with that, there was this other uh, dilemma, and that was the way the buildings were being constructed, uh, the kind of designs that were being adopted by various commercial buildings. Yeah. Uh, if you look around wherever and anywhere in India, most of these buildings, which are now glass buildings, glass facade buildings, they are essentially something which we have aped from the West, right? So these designs yeah. have really been aped from the West, uh, whether it is uh, Europe or America, and they, we have adopted their uh, building designs uh, here. Now, I don't think so. We've done the wisest of things. Why? Because as you know that we you know kind of uh, the heat that we have in our country this amount of sunlight that we have all of it kind of heats up these blocks and then uh, and then we require tremendous amount of air conditioning to cool them down to bring them uh, to you know working levels or better thermal comforts now so that gave uh, uh, the uh, what you call birth to the energy conservation uh, the energy conservation building code ecbc yeah. 2007 so the first time we brought out something to regulate the way buildings are designed and the code was introduced now the code was essentially a minimum energy performance standard it was a performance standard for the various components of a building so right from the building envelope to your electrical systems to uh, the amount of uh, uh, um, renewables that you need to at least for the bare minimum need to be incorporated in these building designs so all of that so it defined all of that so 
and it was on purpose uh, the government when they introduced the code they said that we do not want to uh, kind of uh, put a uh, put a uh, pressure on the public at large uh, and uh, we must do it only for the commercial sector and yeah. then uh, because and in the residential sector largely as i told you the consumptions happen at the appliances level and if you were to take on a program for labeling of appliances based on energy efficiency then yeah. you are able to address it to a large extent sure. so i think that was it and of course the fifth part which was more of a governance issue was that the bureau of energy efficiency was created at the center and every state was asked to create because all of these uh, implementation happen at the state level so every state was asked to identify and notify a state designated agency to roll out the energy conservation act so every state in the country and union territories they earmarked an organization through a notification process and then uh, for the implementation of the act now bulk of the states use the renewable energy departments uh, as the sds uh, the state designated agencies so they nominated uh, uh, notified these uh, departments as the sds other than i think uh, uh, i think only uh, kerala kerala had a separate department uh, called the energy management center they okay. created a separate entity to manage and that is probably one of the reasons why they did very well you know in terms of yeah. demand side management initiatives they have done really well and every every uh, year uh, you know when the energy conservation days uh, uh, kind of celebrated and people are recognized for their efforts in um, kind of uh, reducing the demand or managing or in you know the managing the demand side management initiatives well uh so they are awarded and this 14th december uh, every year is marked as the uh, national energy conservation day and industry and uh, state governments and uh, other departments school children everyone are the kind of uh, uh, recognized for their efforts in this direction yeah now uh, so the standards and labeling program i think became one of the flagship programs of the government of india in terms of promoting energy conservation and we realized that once you know we started off we there was a long list uh, that was drawn up where consumptions happen as far as appliances is concerned and then we said that okay we will take it appliance by appliance based on the decision was that which are the appliances that need to be taken up first based on what is the quantum of energy that they are consuming presently so the you know the big ticket items were then uh, kind of uh, first uh, taken up and then we also kept in mind that while you are doing this uh, so there was this carrot and stick kind of an approach uh, where we said that while we are um, uh, doing the appliances labeling program hmm. uh, we will gradually uh, initially introduce it as a voluntary scheme and then mandated once the markets have transformed so you need to give some time to the markets to transform towards these initiatives so that's what we did so there were i you know now i think about uh, yeah. 12 items uh, are mandatory now without which you cannot sell products in the market but yeah. initially it was just four products so, so all of that that was done yeah but the basic idea was that we provided we made the consumer the king in taking these decisions you know you need to provide the consumer is the strongest you see markets work on uh, consumer behavior right yes. so if you are able to empower the market empower the consumer to take informed decisions yeah. then you are able to drive home and the consumer will decide as to what he wants or he or she wants and what they don't want so the appliances program i we saw it working so well because we empowered the consumer in decision making and thereafter uh, we found that the manufacturers responded to it why because they found that oh there is no demand for one and two star fr labeled fridges in the market why the hell are we manufacturing it so let's yeah. make only three four five star labeled fridges 
So yeah. the mark, the consumer was only demanding for three, four, and five. So one and two got off the shelf, and they stopped manufacturing. We realized as a regulator that mm. oh, three, four, five is in demand. Why don't we move the markets towards higher efficiencies now? So we said, okay, whatever is three today, let's make it one, and yeah. get in two more. You know that is how we ratcheted up the labeling yeah. program, and. it was it was so beautiful it was so it is so wonderful to see it work because yeah. the markets you know the manufacturers kept responding to it the markets moved the consumers demanded something which was more efficient so all of these kept playing and we were able to transform the market so whether it was refrigerators whether it was fans whether it was uh, even air conditioners i think that is how we uh, really went about moving the markets towards uh, Uh, transforming it towards energy efficient products absolutely so that is one how did building conservation code or built environment uh, policies develop over years uh on the building side uh, the commercial buildings uh, while some of them uh, started moving towards adopting these uh, you know the adopting the energy conservation building code Yeah. we were in a quandary as to whether we mandate it or we leave it as a voluntary uh, code hmm. now let's also remember that the national building code which is the overriding uh, uh, you know governing structure uh, yeah. for any building bylaws uh, uh, to be uh, you know they are all culled out from the national building code that itself uh, is a voluntary code it's not a mandatory code yeah but the bylaws which become the implementation framework they are the uh, you know they are mandatory i mean you cannot construct a building without adhering to the bylaws of the state or the municipality yeah so so we went around the states and we said that we leave it to you but in order to kind of uh, we think that if you just were leave it if you were to leave it as a voluntary initiative probably the state governments would not uh, you know adopt it so we went and state by state we went around and we said that uh, i think you should go ahead and notify it yeah okay now while we were doing that i would also like to draw the attention of everyone to another aspect that the government of india always worked on uh, plan periods the five year plan periods right so the yeah. 10th 10th plan 11th plan 12th plan now building codes were introduced in the country 2007 2012 was the 10th plan year 10th five year plan period thereafter 12 to 17 was the 11th five plan period and then uh, of course so on and so forth yeah now uh, during the uh, you know the 10th plan period when building codes were first introduced a lot of emphasis was given only on because uh, emphasis was given on training and capacity building sensitizing people about the need for such codes why is it required how will we create an impact what is it that the state governments are required to do so all of that so you have to go about telling people state by state and most of it was forgotten when we left the room i mean they were not uh, receptive to the idea that there could be something which is uh, and you know especially when here you are trying uh, government is trying to make sure that electricity to all is being provided and here we were talking about how you need to really uh, reduce your demand and all of that so uh, obviously the two things were uh, not uh, readily acceptable if i may say yeah in any yeah. case we did this and we said that maybe we will use the 11th plan period to uh, kind of move the states towards more seriousness as a result of all of these efforts uh, we found that about 12 to 13 states went ahead with the notification process yeah. that is one and if you were really to look at the 12 states that i talk about hmm. that were represented 90% of bulk of the states where infrastructure development was at, at its peak okay. so if you yeah. were able to these states really went about notifying it then yeah. bulk of your job was done so you were in good hands right yeah. so if maharashtra andhra pradesh karnataka uh, uh, and of course andhra means i'm talking of the undivided andhra and telangana followed suit so 
bulk of these you know gujarat then uh, uh, haryana all of these punjab all of these states became the uh, front runners as far as the notification process was concerned yeah that is where your energy conservation building code really was uh, uh, if you see the large impacts you would be able to see it there because that is where these were the states where buildings with 100 kilowatt and above uh, connected yeah. loads uh, were being constructed large buildings so that was one good thing the second thing which we did was that we realized that the national building code is the driving uh, uh, you know is the is the is the driving force behind the regulations as far as bylaws is concerned why don't we dovetail the uh, energy conservation building code into the national building code yeah. so that exercise was done together with the ministry of consumer affairs uh, the yeah. bureau of indian standards and uh, the ministry of power the bureau of energy efficiency agencies such as terry all of them we came yeah. together and we worked and there was a larger group of people we got together and we uh, kind of we were very uh, successful in that because we integrated it and there was a new chapter which was added uh, to the national building code as an addendum which was called the approach to sustainability and all of this part of the energy conservation building code got integrated into this uh, into the national code so that was the uh, that was the good thing that happened yeah how did state government support uh, for making of bylaws and uh, compliances for uh, the cities because i think that was one of the most important things uh, while implementing any of these policies that we have been talking about and and if you can highlight a bit on how did uh, incentivization of states take place so uh, many state governments now you must understand that state governments when we are talking of and you know largely municipalities and state governments it's a it's a it's a state subject it is a subnational subject uh, as far as the implementation framework is concerned so how do you go about helping them tweak their bylaws to integrate all of this how would they make yeah. sure that there is a framework to check compliance and uh, you know and, and when you are talking of compliance then you need to uh, and regulations need to be implemented then how do you penalize them if they someone does not uh, so so a lot of work was done uh, towards this initiative uh, yeah. towards helping the state governments in building up these blocks uh, but some of the states were very good now how did they do it public works department in the state government they were responsible for all the public utilities public uh, buildings that were being constructed so if i may mention of one state which really was smart enough to do it the public works department of karnataka the chief architect of the pwd he said that i am going to uh, because it has been notified in my state i am not going to let any building to be constructed without compliance to the energy conservation building code so yeah. every building plan that was approved good for construction and was handed out to the engineers yeah. he made sure that all the specifications and the requirements of the energy conservation building code were part of the building plans he would write it on the on the plans and uh, release it for construction and he said yeah. that now if an engineer does not uh, kind of adopt it in his specifications or in his tender notifications then his head is going to roll and not mine so that was a very smart way and i remember working very closely with the government of karnataka uh, yeah. on this initiative and i was very happy and i said that this is something which needs to be adopted by uh, other states as well so so we realized that essentially this was it was dependent on leadership that if someone provided that leadership then you were able to do things like this you know and yeah so many buildings in the state Uh, uh, became uh, uh, compliant to energy conservation building code hmm. uh likewise we also realized that you need to incentivize the states how do you go about incentivizing so they thought that oh if you were to construct a building as usual and there yeah. would not be any incremental cost for going uh, or compliant to the code uh, while we said that there may be a very small Uh, amount that could be 
the incrementals would be very small and the paybacks would be recovered through your you know savings in electricity and so on uh, and it would pay back over a very small period of time maybe two yeah. one or two years or three years at the most but still i think that initial reluctance of people to be incurring you know the capital cost uh, being incurred for going uh, compliant to the uh, code was there yeah so the bureau of energy efficiency supported many projects by providing them they said that you find out what is the incremental and we will pay you that incremental yeah. cost provided you integrate all of the requirements in this code so the many state government buildings they uh, they kind of adopted these schemes they you know yeah. adopted this and as a result of which we were able to construct quite a few buildings which were uh, compliant to the code and then we said that one of the things which you need to do is make sure that you keep monitoring uh, the building in terms of its performance and put out information for public at large to see that what yeah. are the savings that are accruing out of it so that yeah. that was that was the uh, initiative that we talked about when did the industries uh, start taking part into this and how did industries get incentivized to take part into this whole conservation act so energy intensive industries the pat scheme became i think a front front runner the perform achieve and trade so where yeah. again uh, you know industries which if every every unit so if you look at the cement industry we had a very large bandwidth of the most efficient cement plant in the country and a, and yeah. a very inefficient plant working together right so the most inefficient plant was given a higher target to achieve as to how he moves towards energy how it moves towards energy efficiency while the most efficient plant was given a smaller bandwidth to kind of improve and then uh, the uh, trading uh, you know the um uh, what you call the market trading phenomenon was used that people who overachieved were allowed to trade their e certificates with the ones who did not achieve and all of that so yeah using using that so i think the industry also responded very well as far as the pat uh, was concerned and yeah. the first year when i remember when we rolled out the pat scheme and the achievements that we saw it was something which was very very i mean it was a very proud moment for all of us uh, to see how the markets how the industry really came forward because eventually they realized that it is they themselves who are going to benefit if they improve their efficiencies and yeah. uh, and also uh, you know so that level so i'm not going into details of how the scheme really worked out and the schemes are available on the website of the bureau of energy efficiency for people to understand as to how these really worked but uh i think a large uh, i mean there was a huge amount of traction that the demand side management initiative was able to uh, uh, you know deliver in terms yeah. of the act whatever the act was different if you could also highlight somewhere on the lines of uh, resource efficiency and how that became more important in this whole context because while yes energy did become one of the major uh, you know saving points at lot of places mm -hmm. uh, uh, with building efficiency and everything there was a lot of efficiency measures taken up for water and re, uh, waste management as well which was yeah. not there before as well yeah. as so, uh, cnd waste yeah so okay so i was going to in fact cover Sorry, this uh, in the next good but that you raise this now you know uh, i we all realized one thing that why was it that electricity or energy you know when we talk of energy bulk of it is electricity that we talk of in the common language that we yeah common use that we see why was it getting the attention of everyone because the tariffs would keep revising from time to time right yeah and people would it would pinch the pockets of the people uh, mm -hmm. when tariffs uh, rose or yeah. there was an increase in tariff and when it starts hurting people that is when you know you start becoming more and more uh, uh, kind of uh, uh, receptive to these things you know that oh yeah. i i don't want my electricity bills to increase and that was the mantra around which all the uh, awareness campaigns were rolled out by the bureau of energy efficiency i remember there was an advertisement which used to come up on tv sometimes at prime time mm -hmm. 
that a fan would move and there would be money falling out of it and going into <laughs> a piggy bank saying that if you use energy yeah. efficient the plastic you save you know that kind yeah, of yeah yeah i remember that so so uh, unfortunately water we have i think never i don't remember paying for water ever right yeah. it has yeah. never been metered so so uh, again now i will i will use one line which i love to use what gets measured gets managed right yeah. so unless and until you don't measure and don't you know you are not uh, uh, i mean you need to pay for things uh, uh, for whatever you use unfortunately water is something which we have never been able to put a price to it the the amount sure. it's one of the most precious commodities and we'll we are depleting out of that resource Sure. We are we are hearing stories after stories about how cities are drying up and how it is becoming more and more uh, of a challenge to provide potable water to everyone. So, unfortunately, it still does not have it still hasn't received the amount of attention that it should have as electricity has, right? Yeah. So probably the tariffs for water should be much much higher than electricity tariffs, so yeah. that people understand that whatever you use. Is, is is a very precious commodity that we are using right so so one needs to learn that now uh, so electricity got the attention why because of the tariffs uh, in in terms of uh, so when you talk of resource efficiency uh, that became something that uh, you know as 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 a as a country where we are developing infrastructure requirements are increasing the more and more urbanization is taking place you are seeing newer and newer uh, cities coming up tier 1 tier 2 cities are growing into you know uh, bigger cities and you know uh, aspiring to become metropolitans and all of that and obviously a lot of infrastructure being uh, coming up where are you going to get the resources from for uh, for such constructions so we i think we have seen how we have been depleting the natural resources taking away you know extracting excavation all of those things are they they were being done yeah then i think somewhere down the line we we said that we need to be more resource efficient we need to see how we become uh, more uh, uh, kind of sensitive towards all of these issues and the ideas of uh green infrastructure uh, started to be discussed right and we started yeah. talking about resource efficient and green infrastructure uh, rating agencies started talking about how recycling and all of these needs to be the mantra true so all of these things initiatives uh, uh, they came into being uh but still um i think they are if you look at the total built environment and you look at the green infrastructure which is still in, uh, which is yeah. in place as of now it is a very minuscule of the total uh, built environment so a lot of effort yeah. needs to be done in this but just merely saying that we need to be resource efficient we need to be uh, uh, we need to be you know uh, how do we go about making sure that whatever we construct is going to be green and uh, all of that where are we going to be sourcing these materials from how do we again it's the informed decision making that becomes centric to all of these ideas yeah so if we are talking of a green building ultimately you and me are going to demand this green building yeah developer is not inclined to give it to you because he is as it is in the business of providing the uh, you know the, the buildings or the infrastructure and people are buying it without asking for this so you you need to sensitize the end consumer that if you really want to buy a building make sure that it is green because eventually not only are you going to be living out of a healthier entity a better uh, uh, comfortable a uh, uh, more comfortable uh, building operating yeah. or living out of it but also Uh, the operating costs are going to be much less as compared to a business as usual uh but again 
the developer being uh, asked to provide this was not uh, uh, it was not an easy task so we started working together with the uh, again the municipalities and the state government and if yeah. you look around many municipalities and state governments now have incentivized the developer that yeah. if you come up with a green building or a resource efficient whatever i mean eventually a green building is a resource efficient entity right so if you were to come up with a green infrastructure then you would get an incentive by way of an far additional far and many state governments and municipalities have gone about uh, notifying these additional fars which is again uh, uh, an incremental uh, uh, you know it's a it's a what do you, what do you say uh, structured uh, approach they have telescopic so structure yeah yeah if you are at a three star you get so much additional far if you are at a four star or you know the different yeah. ratings uh, that they offer so you are then uh, given that uh, incremental uh, uh, you know benefit uh and that became a driver so that is one some states also not only uh, you know kind of they uh, uh, kind of coupled it with also property tax rebates and all of that yeah we also wanted to look at uh, if there could be rebates on tariff in electricity and water and all of that but i think we are still not there but that could be again something so we wanted to you know i mean the good way to do it is incentivize both the consumer the end consumer yeah. as well as the developer right so the consumer demands from the developer that you give me a green infrastructure and then the consumer starts uh, behaving responsibly to be using that infrastructure and then he gets uh, an incentive uh, in terms yeah. of its utilization so that that is there uh there is some amount of incentives which have been rolled out on the renewables and since you work yeah. in that sector i'm sure that you are aware of it that how renewables uh, you know if you were to add on say rooftop solar how you get rebates on your tariff electricity tariff and all of that many discoms yeah. have gone about uh, giving these regulations so uh, those were uh, those were things but then when we came to again resource efficient uh, in infrastructure one of the things that we found that the markets did not have enough information about where to store such in, uh, you know material yeah. right so if you talked about recycled material where do you source it whether it really performs to the intent you do not know people were like tomorrow if you were told to construct your building using recycled products you will be very very wary of it no why should i i am not going to use it it may not be as safe and uh, yeah. you know structurally safe so again the government got back into action they started notifying and they said that okay if you are going to use this this much of recycled content is mandatory how is it that it is going to impact the structural safety all of that i think all those guidelines and regulations are in place issued by the bureau of indian standard by agencies such as the bmtpc all of them yeah. i think they work towards this endeavor and uh, this is working well where do you source recycled products so the um, the mahindra terry center of excellence which we created together with uh, mahindra the mahindra group yeah. uh, we are testing out material and putting out such information in the open source you know for mm -hmm. people to benefit for building practitioners for the end consumer to benefit from such uh, information so that is one the building materials directory of india uh, yeah. is being put out by the bureau of energy efficiency where all you know whether it is glazing whether it is uh, 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 upvc doors and windows whether whether it is any uh, tiles anything to do with building materials uh, information on this building materials is being put out on a portal where once the material is uploaded then people can go and visit that site get information how it's performing if it's an architect and an engineer they get more information as far as its performance is concerned an end consumer a layman is able to understand where am i going to source it from so i think we are kind of uh, you know putting in the various uh, blocks of the puzzle in place so that the uh, you know complete the loop uh, so that people are able to get an idea as to where uh, when we talk about green buildings and when we talk about resource efficiency 
it's not so much of a task as to uh, where is one going to source it from, where is it that I'm going to get maybe someone to help me out. Rating agencies such as GRIA are also providing very simple to uh, uh, you know, use tools for people yeah. to benefit at large as to how to go about integrating all of these within their uh, plans, building plans, so that eventually what they live out of uh, become resource efficient. So that's the idea. Absolutely. So we are working towards it. And I think um, as a country, uh, we are not doing, and uh, if I may say, we are doing pretty well as far as moving yeah. up on this trajectory. And uh, at least we are not, uh, you know, we have not kind of uh, uh, built a complete infrastructure, which is uh, where we have to go about retrofitting it. So that yeah. in terms of, in terms of an opportunity, it came naturally to us because bulk of our infrastructure was yet to be put in place. So that became an opportunity to make sure that whatever we construct in the future uh, becomes more and more efficient, resource efficient. So that is where yeah. we are. And I think uh, uh, we are gradually seeing that what we built yesterday and what we are building today is much, much, much more resource efficient than what we built yesterday. So that's, that's, the way we, that's, that's how we are doing. And of course, uh, we talked about waste management. So obviously, when we talk about these green buildings, they not only become more resource efficient, they not only become uh, lesser, uh, you know, they consume much lesser and operating costs and all of that come down. They also generate less waste and, uh, you know, putting a lesser amount of pressure on the land um, uh, to be kind of uh, managing this waste. So, yeah, I think that's, that's where we are. Yeah, thank you. Thanks a lot on those lines. So one of the last questions that we generally ask is on the skill sets of what all kinds of skill sets are required in this field. And because we have been talking a lot about how policy came into picture and how things got eventually uh, set up on ground or implemented on ground. So uh, what kind of skill sets does anyone require on these lines to be in the policy space of it? to be able to drive this change? Uh, what would you say on those lines? Yeah, so I think that's a very, very important question that you raise. And you know, when we talk about these things, it, become, it would become very aspirational without uh, having a, uh, you know, a, 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 a good workforce to kind of implement all of this. Yeah. Now, the basic knowledge and uh, skill is available with every architect engineer that is trained for this purpose. So it's no rocket science, number one. It's only that incremental knowledge that is required, which can, I mean, it's really, it's, it's not too big a deal for people to be trained on it. Yeah. There is enough training that is provided to people, both at the government level, as well as with agencies, rating agencies such as GRIA or Indian Green yeah. Building Council or the USGBC, all of these rating agencies which are in, in uh, uh, operating out of our country, all of them, they have trainings uh, imparted to people who would want to really take up a professional career in this regard. Yeah. There is also a lot of skill development training which is done. Now, please understand that when manufacturers, for example, are rolling out insulation, right? Yeah. Suppose a manufacturer of insulation, if he only sells, makes insulation and sells out in the market, he knows that nobody is going to buy his insulation because if it is not backed up with a plan as to where does someone get a skilled workman to install this. So yeah. they themselves also carry out a number of programs for skill development for the workforce so that they have a trained cadre of people to be yeah. uh, going and uh, uh, working, uh, you know, um, trained work, workmen to be uh, work, workforce to be going and implementing uh, this, yeah. this thing. Now, industry body uh, has worked very well in this direction. Uh, there is also the skill development. I think now there is, there is uh, the green skill job. I mean, there is also a department who's looking at how skill development in the green space can also be you know, enhanced okay. and augmented yeah. and all of that. So there are there are various efforts in this direction that are being done. Even the industry body, and if you look at the Bureau of Energy Efficiency and uh, uh, 
such agencies, they are working together uh, with uh, various agencies, with industry platforms, industry associations, and all of them to build yeah. up the skill sets of various people. Now, I think uh, uh, that is important. And uh, it's also, you know, training, unfortunately, in our country for a very long period of time has been looked as as a vacation. Oh, I have been yeah. sent for a training program. Let me go and enjoy myself for <laughs> one week. Uh, yeah. uh, and it, no seriousness has been uh, given to it. But training topped up with a certification program, I think that is the mantra to, uh, to really make sure that you have a large uh, skill force. Uh, yeah. uh, skilled force which is available to you for rolling out any such initiative and that is where rating agencies so you have you heard of the accredited professionals or certified yeah. professionals that one uh, rolls out so i think that uh, uh, becomes a, a, a good um, uh, you know journey towards this direction people are now doing we have created especially during this lockdown period People have become very reluctant to, and physical presence of people to take, taking up uh, training programs is becoming uh, a more and more no-no, I think. And uh, that also has given, up, uh, given us all a greater amount of flexibility to be taking up training programs as and when we have the time. So training sure. modules, online platforms, all of these things have really worked well. So I think the yeah. lockdown period, while it has you know, been seen as a downer yes. on the one side but it has also provided us a good window of opportunity to be kind of developing new protocols for yeah. uh, helping people to use their time effectively giving them the flexibility of taking on these training programs as and when they have the time so it is working well so we have also developed uh, some very good online uh, training modules portals have been created where they can yeah. freely uh, use these to hone their skills and uh, yeah, and then as I said, to become certified professionals. So I hope that in the years ahead, uh, we will become, uh, I think uh, our country will really uh, lead by example in terms of all of these initiatives. I hope so too. Thank you so much for your time and wonderful knowledge that you shared. Uh, I, it was, I'm really glad that I could interview you and gain so much of perspective and the whole journey of this uh, energy efficiency in transition for cities. Thank you so much, sir. Thank you. Thank uh, you, Puneet. And I hope that uh, it meets your aspirations also. And I hope that the people who are going to really listen to it uh, are able to uh, gain from it. And of course, if they ever want to reach out to us for any clarification, we'd be more than happy. Thank you, sir. You have been listening to Understanding the Future podcast. To know more about Climate Center for Cities, check out our website www.niua.org slash c-q. The show is conceptualized, produced and edited by Punit Gandhi, Senior Associate at CQ. You can now subscribe to our podcast on your favorite channel, which can be accessed through the credits. Also, don't forget to follow us on our social media for more updates. Do share your reviews with us and help us spread the podcast to your friends and colleagues. Do write to us if you would be interested in learning about any specific topics. Thank you and stay tuned for our next episode.